and knowing what I'm going through and I'm, I'm strong and I know people are strong, but this, this has ruined my life and I can't live with myself if it ruins other people's. What's up, everyone? It's your boy, Danny Priori, and welcome to Off the Cuff. You might know me as the guy from the basement yard, Vine, the Priori podcast. And while I love to make people laugh, just know that I've struggled with my mental health for most of my life, just like many of you. Here on Off the Cuff, I will be talking with some of the most impactful influencers, athletes, celebrities, entrepreneurs, and mental health experts to have real, unapologetic conversations about mental health and breaking the stigma that surrounds it. This show is for you, and I'm so happy to have you here. Now, let's talk Off the Cuff. Welcome back to Off the Cuff. I'm your host, Daniel Priori, and today I am joined by Nick Thompson. You may know him from Love is Blind Season 2. He's also a mental health advocate, a podcast host, and founding board member of an executive director, uh, director of outreach for the Unscripted Cast Advocacy Network Foundation, the UCAN Foundation. So you know what? Before we get into like all the reality TV show stuff, while we're on the topic, UCAN, I'm just going to say you can now aims to provide mental health and legal support to past current and future reality TV contestants. So before we get into your journey with reality TV, what was the driving force behind the formation of you can? This is going to be one of those movies where we start with the ending and then find out the origin of how we got there. I like that. Those are some of my favorite kinds. So the UCAN Foundation was actually the brainchild of Jeremy Hartwell, who's my co-founder. And he started talking to me about this as he was going through his mental health recovery journey after leaving the show after just a few days. And he kind of realized as time went on that, that he felt exploited and he didn't feel like, you know, upon reflection that there was proper food, water, like there was no legal recourse and, you know, the working 18, 20 hours a day. And so he started talking to me about this about a year and a half ago. And I was like, yeah, sounds cool. It's never going to work. The industry's too big. They're going to just squash any effort you get. It's going to be difficult to raise money because of how the public sees reality casts and lack of education on what goes on behind the scenes. So anyway, long story short, as I went through my own journey post-show from a mental health perspective, and over the course of just a, a couple months, it was show comes out, life changes overnight, struggling marriage behind the scenes of, of what was going on in real life. And then ultimately getting divorced in the public light at the end of last summer. Then consequently, I got laid off from my uh, marketing job in tech. And so I just hit these like massive, horrible event after horrible event. Losing your job and losing your marriage are two of the top five most traumatic experiences human beings go through, according to pretty much every single psychology uh, research function. So you know, I'm sitting there and I just, these things just happened to me. And then, you know, the media and, and doing this in the public eye and doing this with people having all their opinions, like they actually know you or know what your experience was. I just hit absolute rock bottom at the end of the year last year. And I, for the first time felt like this literally ruined my entire life. I went on there with the best of intentions. I was in the best mental health shape that I had been in, in my entire life. I had been working through a lot of my childhood issues. I'd been working through a lot of my avoidant issues. I had been working through my reactive issues, my sarcasm. I don't want to temper, not like violent temper, but easily short fused. I can agree. I can agree. I'm, I'm, there. <laughs> I'm, there. I'm there. I think we all have. It's just some of us manifest in different ways. Yes. And so as I was sitting there, I had just done a few hour interview with Dr. Isabel Morley, who's actually on the board at the UCAN Foundation as the director of mental health services. She was doing an article for Psychology Today on the abuses that she was seeing when she watched Love is Blind season three and how they were just completely ignored and there was no support. And she wanted to know if I'd be willing to, to interview. And I did an interview with her for a few hours uh, for the show or for the article. After that, I was just sitting there and I'm like, holy shit, this has been a horrific experience and I am not okay. And I keep telling myself I'm okay. And that's always been mental health podcast. Like I'm I'll be a little detailed on this. I've always been someone who has felt alone from the moment my parents divorced when I was five years old. I felt like responsibility for my sisters to make sure that they were shielded from all of that as much as possible. And then they kind of 
found each other. And I sort of resorted to handling a lot of the, the things that were bothering me like on my own. So when I'm dealing with depression, I was diagnosed with depression when I was 21 years old. When I deal with that, I withdraw, I shut down and I handle it myself. And sometimes that's a day, sometimes that's a week. You know, there are occasions that I would miss work because I just couldn't get out of bed. And so I felt for the first time after that interview that I was burying everything that had happened from the moment that I went on that show through all the exploitative measures, through the endless hours of filming every single day, 18 to 20 hours, to the toll that took on me mentally, to the impacts it had uh, on me getting married and making life-altering decisions every single day that were going to just completely change the trajectory of my life. And then going through the public divorce and then losing my job. And I just, I was at rock bottom and I had to shut off my social media for a week at the end of the year last year. I've always struggled with the holidays too and, you know, seasonal affective disorder. So I was just in this really dark place. I barely talked to anyone. I went home for one day for the holidays. I didn't do really anything except hang out with a couple friends on New Year's. And I was done. And I decided, I'm like, I am not made for this. I never thought I was, but like, I thought, I don't care that much what people think about me. I'm pretty confident who I am. And I've done a lot of work to be confident in who I am and know that I'm doing the right thing. But I was just like, I can't take anymore. Like I can't take people calling me a cheater. I can't take people calling me a narcissist. I can't take people knowing everything about my life anymore and having judgment on it. I'm smiling because it's so weird how, you know, thank God for the internet, but if it wasn't for the internet, we probably are never having this conversation. So many people in the world, maybe mm -hmm. are across, right? So I always think of it. And the reason I started to smile was you have to think of you're in a, an exclusive class of people who are exposed to fame that is so minute. But if you really think about it, people, consumers such as myself, we just get to take your trauma in as if it is a scripted movie starring Robert De Niro and Jennifer Aniston or whoever is in the movie, right? And we get to go about our lives. You guys become almost avatars and memes in our lives. That's so true. So the disconnect is very strange. You said that you got diagnosed with depression at 21. Before you went on the show, do they do like any mental health screening? Yeah, they do. And before we jump into that, I want to comment on what you just said. People ask me like, what's your biggest takeaway? Would you do it again? You know, those questions I get all the time, just not even just in interviews, like from random people you meet from friends and family. I mean, my cousin asked me that a couple of weeks ago. And so what I've realized and why this is, this has driven me to really advocate for mental health, advocate for the UCAN Foundation. Since I had done the work, I had learned what boundaries were. I had removed people from my life that weren't meant for me, people that were taking, people that didn't give. I had a nice bubble and I didn't realize how traumatized and hurt and uh, people are and how cruel and bottled up it can make people. And that's where I was like, I worked through my stuff. I'm with a, a good group of people in my life that have worked through their, their stuff. But there's a lot of people that don't have the resources or they don't feel like it's safe to share that. And so that was where I really was like, I have to do something good here. I can't just sell products and promote brand partnerships. Like I actually want to advocate for men because you know, you live it every day. It's still stigmatized. Oh, yeah. 100%. People make fun of me. Oh, yeah, they make, they make fun of me too. And it's at a point where I had a manic episode last week, like a 72 hour episode where I had to talk to my producer and be like, listen, I can't do the show this week. Like I'm a fucking mess. All right. People see, even when you're an advocate, it almost like they almost forget that like my days are fucked up too. Like I have some bad fucking days. I'm going to be honest with you, man. Like I can relate to that. This week has been especially tough for me. When I woke up today, I'm like, I don't know if I can do this show. Yeah. I thought to myself, I'm like, I need to humanize you like you. Yeah. And so I was like, I'm going to listen to your show again today before I come on because it'll humanize you and it'll help me feel more human and like connected to you. And so, you know, that helped, but like 
I'm off tomorrow and Friday now. I am like, I'm not doing any new can foundation. I already told them. I'm like, I'm out. Like, don't call me in. I'm shutting off my email because it's exhausting to continue to like relive all of this stuff. And I've got my own stuff outside of this going on in my life. hundred percent. It's a very difficult thing. It's a fight worth fighting, but it's a very, very difficult fight to be an advocate because a lot of people see us as, uh, oh, you're strong for like doing that. And it's like, this is going to be the rest of my life. That is the hardest thing for me to understand. Like this is the rest of my life. I've dealt with it my entire life. I just didn't know. I don't try to demonize myself so much when those moments happen though, because I know what it's like to be a human being. Like if you were to call us, one of us today and just be like, you're not feeling well, I would reach out to you and just be like, Hey man, I just hope you're good. Yeah. I appreciate that. Because at the end of the day, like, all this stuff matters, but like, it doesn't matter at the same time. Yeah. Not when it comes into the grand scheme of life, you know, and not if it drives you into the ground mentally or literally in some yeah. cases, say you hired me to speak at, at a, you can thing, right? Mm-hmm. I'm like, yeah, dude, I've been a mess for a week. Probably shouldn't go on the stage. It's not because I'm not a good guy. I'm having a bad stretch. Yeah. You know, it's it just, sometimes we're not in the mood to fight the fight. That's exactly it. I always preface this and I I worry sometimes how people take it, which is weird. But whenever I have someone come on my podcast, Eyes Wide Open, I always tell them like, hey, if you schedule this and you need to change it, like that's okay. I've got stuff backed up. So don't worry about my schedule because I know what it's like to get up that day and be like, well, shit, I was fine yesterday. Or this seemed like a good idea when we scheduled it, what, two weeks ago, you know, like this seemed like a good idea at the time. And I was ready to have this conversation. And today you're just not like giving people that, that option. If you really understand how depression and mental health works, you got to be okay with somebody not being okay. You just have to be. That's exactly it. The other question I wanted to ask, I'm a newly married man. Congratulations. Thank you very much. The only reason I was able to get married and the only reason that it could work is that I had to make sure that mentally I was in a good place to marry someone else and be able to be a partner, a 50-50 partner, not a 25-75 partner. Going into the show, what was your kind of depression level like? And when things got serious with Danielle, who's an off-the-cuff alum. Shout out, Danielle. What was kind of your thought process? This is what I feel like. Depressed people, when it comes to relationships, it's accelerated because at times it, it feels so good to have camaraderie with somebody else. And in your situation, you're going through something that only so many people have gone through. So you have that connection there. But what was your mental state going into Love is Blind? It was a journey for me. There were, the whole thing was a journey for me from not just the show, but relationships. I hid my depression for years. I hid it in relationships and it would cause issues. And I just couldn't bring myself to say me canceling plans or me not being as talkative or me just wanting to stay in or me being avoidant. I'm hiding my depression because I'm embarrassed by it and I feel shame for it. And I never told anyone until probably six, seven years ago about this. And I I continued to try and express it in relationships, which isn't easy. And it's a skill. It's like, you know, you don't wake up. I think some people do. You don't wake up someday and you're just like really good at basketball. It takes practice. It takes time. You miss the layups. And then, you know, over time, you start making more than you're missing. And that's kind of how it is when you're first starting to talk about your depression, or at least it was for me. And so I had been finally able to start sharing that in relationships. And I had a significant relationship that ended right before um, COVID started. And I had a really hard time with the pain of that. And then the hard time with COVID and the isolation and the depression, I still was able to see a couple people every couple of weeks. Right. But I was alone. I was alone with my feelings and I was alone with my thoughts and my depression was really, really starting to creep in and take over. I had a friend pass away in COVID alone in her house by herself for days that hit me so hard that I realized, you know, after taking the next day and just 
basically melting into the couch, which I was surprised I was even able to get up there to the couch. I was like, I have to do something because everything that I had done to manage my depression revolved structure, routine, you know, spending the right amount of time alone because I am introverted and then the right amount of time socially. And I had this science figured out that I was building myself up until COVID hit. So then I was like, I have to rebuild myself. I have to rebuild the structure. And so that structure had to change. And it included a heck of a lot more walks before things started opening up. I think I was getting like 20, 25,000 steps a day. I would walk before work. I would walk during work. I would take walking meetings. And I realized getting outside this, even if it was cold, getting outside, getting that sunlight in, Yes. Spending time in nature or as much as you can in Chicago. That started yeah. to give me that structure and support back. And I did, you know, a post-mortem on like what was good about my relationship. That was what was what is bad. What are the patterns I repeat? And I just started doing all this growth because there was literally nothing there to distract me for so much of this. And I had a therapist I was working with at least once a week during the time, which I was lucky to have had for a while. So we had that sort of past history together. And I was just in this place by the time they reached out where I was like, I hate dating. Dating sucks. Dating apps suck. Everybody's distracted. Everybody's looking for the next best swipe or next best like. And so I was just kind of like, you know what? I'll casually date if it makes sense. But like, I'm actually okay with myself. I went on a few dates, you know, towards the end of 2020 into 2021. And then I was like, the show was kind of coming up and I'm like, you know what? I think I can do this. I'm happy with my career. I was killing it in my career. I was in good shape physically and mentally. And I was like, I can do this. I was calm. I didn't have the angst and anxieties that I used to have and these feelings. And I, I remember like I was in the pods, I said, well, I manage my anxiety. I don't have it anymore. Like I used to, and I was just in the great shape. And then you go in there and it just kind of all gets stripped away before you even realize it. See, like, even in that situation, like, everybody watches reality TV, and the first thing we do is we either judge the person or we say what we would do in the situation, right? That's how we internalize what we see on reality television. I know for a fact that if anyone ever came to me and asked me to be on reality television, it would be the fastest no <laughs> ever. Because it's not that I'm afraid of being who I am is I'm afraid of the editing room. That's what I'm afraid of. And that's what you and everyone should be afraid of. And that's also part of the work that I'm trying to do for people that have been edited into a villain and people who sign these contracts to your point. And this is what I say is you think I'm just going to be myself. What could possibly go wrong? And there's a part in the contract that says we can miss represent you. We can defame you. You are subject to public ridicule. You have no recourse. And when you think about, well, am I going to do anything out of character? That's what I said. I did not get a, a bad edit. There were a few parts I was like, well, that didn't really happen that way, but you know, it is what it is. But there are people whose lives are ruined by this stuff and they didn't do anything except show up as themselves and then get edited into a villain. Well, and then it's also, it's like, oh, like they're adults, but like most people on reality television are like, young like young yeah. people you know it's like unless it's like housewives in new jersey everybody's in their 20s early 20s you know what i mean like it's not like one of these shows on bravo where it's like a bunch of like 50 year old women walking around you know yeah and i think me in my 20s on this show would have been a shit show like i would have been i would have been mean i would have been all sorts of like i have a quick wit and a and a sarcastic tongue and yeah. i know how to sting people like that i'm a very charming I could definitely, I have an asshole part of me that doesn't mean to be an asshole, but it's just like, if something comes into my brain, like how you said, like quick witted, it has to come out of my mouth. I'm sorry. Totally. It is, I guess in a, in a way like narcissistic, like I have to see if this lands, like I just have to say, <laughs> I know, I know that feeling. I know that feeling so well. It works for like the world. The work I did was like run them through your character filters first. Like <laughs> that's the hardest part because it's like, oh man, like I could burn this person like playfully, but even burning yourself, because I've learned that if you call yourself a piece of shit enough times, your brain is gonna start to believe you're a piece of shit. That's like one of my mantras in life. Oh. So I try not to like be so hard on myself, but it's just when I see something, I have to be as quick-witted and have it come out of my mouth or else I'll die in my mind. That, that's what I, 
if, if I don't say it, I'm going to be a dead person. So at least get a good joke out of it first before I die. Yeah. But you and know, not everyone thinks those are funny. <laughs> you know, I would say, I would say, I would say, you know, a majority of those don't hit the way they should. But that's how we learn how to be, you know, delivery. We got to work on our delivery. That's all. Exactly. I'm just like, I'm just next level funny with this sarcasm. That's what I tell myself. Yeah. It's not for the common folks. No, no. (laughs) I'm just kidding. So when you're on these reality shows, because obviously the the strike's going on right now, right? Oh, yeah. Do you guys get a SAG card after that? So there's actually a clause in at least the Love is Blind contract and some of the other ones that we've seen that say you cannot be a part of a union. You cannot organize a union. It's basically illegal in this country to say that. And that's why there's. That's what I'm saying. How can you say to form a union? That's they do it because they have you at like basically classified as a contractor. Yeah, Yeah. They cannot get on shit out of you. Yeah, exactly. But there's some work behind the scenes being done to to hopefully get that changed from a legal perspective. But yeah, it's pretty wild, which is one of the reasons. And I know there's a lot of voices out there now talking about unionization of reality cast members, but you know that that's one of the advocacy goals in our pillars at the UCAN Foundation is to formulate and organize reality cast members and unscripted cast members because there's no representation. Yeah. You sign these contracts and I'm sorry, like you said, people are in their 20s or maybe 30, like, Nobody has thousands of dollars to hire a lawyer to review. No. Like I went through mine and just based on like the limited knowledge I have from my professional life of contracts and, you know, NDAs and non-compete clauses and stuff like that and how those work. And I had to have a few things in mind amended just because of my job. But those things, like you don't know what you're signing up for and you have no representation. And then you go through this whole process and you work in 18, 20 hours a day, at least in Love is Blind in the pods and in Mexico for us. And then the only time you're getting any kind of break or reprieve is when they're swapping out union crews for another union crew. It's crazy that you and basically the producers seem to be the only people that aren't represented by any type of organization that's negotiating for your best interest, for your labor, for labor laws for residuals, for any type of mental health support. There's none of that. And you, by contract, can't, can't organize to get it. So that's kind of scary too. Like you would think like on reality TV, there'd be like a safe word, right? Like to just be like, yeah, like fucking pineapples. Like I need to talk to somebody. Like I can't really have this conversation right now. It's very wild. And people are going to say, well, he signed this thing. It's like, yeah, yeah, I know I signed this thing. It's like uh, signing up for a timeshare. You know what I mean? You never know. And then they promise you this fucking property, right? And then you get there and it's a piece of shit. Yeah, exactly. You know? That's just kind of like what it is. And also, you you don't have to say anything, but fuck Netflix. They haven't had a good show on that goddamn fucking thing in no. years. So then if no. you think about it, Love is Blind comes along, right? Now you got everybody watching it. If it wasn't for like Love is Blind and Tiger. It's the most King, watched reality show hours wise of like any show ever. That's what I'm saying. If it wasn't yeah. for Tiger King and Love is Blind, no would be fucking have Netflix. It's terrible. Yeah. That's true. So if you really think about it, they really need you guys more. And then they make you come back for the reunion shows. So you can Well, yeah, there's like a clause in your contract that they can extend your contract for the reunion show and three additional episodes of After the Altar, in which you still get paid just a thousand dollars a week. And it's like, I get it, but you're making billions of dollars and there's no residuals. And that show. You know, season one cast deserves something to because they got a season two order. They're casting for four different seasons right now. I just saw on, a, on one of the casting um, agents page, four seasons, Air Phoenix, Denver, Minnesota. And I'm forgetting the fourth one, but it's and they've already got the next seasons coming out. I know they've got North Carolina in the bag. These things are pumping out. Are you going to watch it? I can't watch them anymore. It's too painful for me personally, having my experience turned out the way that it has. And then to just know that I've talked to people from season one, I've talked to obviously people from my season and other seasons and just hear that it hasn't gotten better. It's gotten worse. And the stuff people are going through, it's like, it's too difficult to watch. I'm, I'm an empathetic person and my, it's like traumatizing. It's like re-traumatizing to watch and to feel for these people who are just doing the best that they can. Because this is the hard thing, right? Is that somebody one day is going to make a documentary about all of this stuff, but where's it going to go? Netflix. 
You know what I mean? So like, yeah. Netflix would air a thing about how they suck just for the views. I'm telling you, that's what they would do. Did you watch Black Mirror this season? Yes, I, I've I've watched like the first like three episodes. Okay, so Joan is awful is literally Netflix showing, hey, we know how horrible reality TV is. As this woman accidentally signed away her life to be turned into a TV show starring Selma Hayek, and it's just over dramatized, worse situations and amplified situations and escalated situations of her real life. And they even have the platform showing it, have the Netflix logo with a different letter for the instead of the N. And I'm like, I watch this and I'm like, so you guys know that you're ruining lives and you're like laughing at it. It's crazy. So it wouldn't surprise me if Netflix did that. And listen, I encourage Netflix and any other production company or production that wants to work with the UCAN Foundation and put some guidelines in place for these productions, I welcome them. Like, I get it. These things happen. It's just gone unregulated too long. But like, can we at least get an independent therapist on each of these sets that can say, hey, so-and-so can't film anymore because they just had a panic attack or they're having a manic episode or their depression has creeped in. They're not cleared to play. And I think of it like the NFL has independent doctors that have to clear people for concussion before they go back in. Oh yeah, for sure. Was there anyone there like checking blood pressures or like? No, they claim they had, I think they said two psychologists on set. I didn't see them once. We did get psych exams to circle back to that. I kind of believe those psych exams were more so to profile you than they were to actually check your wellness. Yeah. And they would just to be honest, to like somebody some kill people somebody. have, no, that's exactly. Like- Exactly. And we actually had some people request their psych exams back and they said, no, you signed away that right, which is a violation of HIPAA. So there's all sorts of laws being broken. Speaking to you now and then also speaking to Danielle, I remember just saying like to myself, as much as the Internet and television could dehumanize a human, right? Once I get to talk to you, you know, I speak to Clayton too. you know, Clayton from The Bachelor. He was a guest on the show. Clayton. Good guy. Even in his situation, he didn't choose a girl. Like, what do you want him to do? He did the best he could. I told him, I said, I think it's pretty brave that you just got the fuck out of there, to be honest with you. I think a lot more people would benefit from getting the fuck out of things. So true. And people don't understand, like, what that type of pressure is. And and this is why I try to show people grace. Now, listen, if you want to see snarky, witty, sarcastic Nick, sometimes in the comments, I lose a little bit of that. That's react. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, go. Yeah. I, I implore you to go there if you want to see my sarcasm in play. But, you know, I think that a lot of people just don't understand like the actual pressure of living it. You can tell someone you're going to be working 18 to 20 hours a day. You can tell someone that you're going to be put in this pressure cooker environment where, you know, you have to decide if you're going to marry someone without seeing them. Then if you, if you both say, yes, you've got to see each other for the first time. And then if you do that, you've got to go meet friends and family and people that didn't even know you were on the show. And now you come back engaged from a reality. Like it's just pressure, pressure, pressure. And then are you going to get married or not? Pressure, pressure, pressure. And you're doing this all when you're sleep deprived, when you're off your structure, your normal schedule that that people take for granted, their normal schedule, I think, and what that contributes to their mental wellness. They just don't know. So I, I try to give people some grace that say, well, you signed up for it or you knew what you were getting into. But, you know, at some point, you just don't, and they don't understand. You're the only person that knows your lived experience. Nobody else does. No, for sure. And then it's also, it's like, it's a dating show. I'm not going to be like, yo, what's up? Like, I have bipolar, like, get married. Who's yeah. going to, you know, in your mind, you're like, who's going to want to marry me? It's almost putting you in a position That's to like, so not, not to be like 100% transparent because what if you really like this person on the other side? But are you going to reveal that? Is that something that's got to go through certain channels? Am I even allowed to say this on here? Like, am I going to be in hot water if I tell them whatever? Sadly, it's going to take something really, really catastrophic happening on one of these shows to like maybe even get these people to even think about it, sadly. And we've already seen suicides from Love Island, Bachelor Nation. It's like, what has to happen? I can't tell you the amount of people that I've talked to. It's over 50 now. I lose track. I talked to two new people from shows that haven't aired yet this week. And it's just like, it's all the same story. 
I've talked to therapists that went on the show and was like, everything I, I thought I knew was ripped away. And I was just brought down to this, you know, not knowing what to do and not knowing who I was. And I just can't even imagine that. And you think about people who then watch it back, it feels like they're getting gaslit. Like, what does that do to your wellness when you know that you stormed off because you were having a panic attack and yeah. they make it look like you stormed off because you're being a brat or you're being selfish or you're throwing a tantrum. Like yeah. that's awful, but that's what people have to live with. I had my first ever panic attack last fall. I've never had a panic attack in my life. Well, and, club, man. Yeah. And it's a great spot. And, and I started developing like physical symptoms of anxiety that yeah. I didn't know what they were. I started gagging when I, when certain things went into my head, I'd start gagging. Like I'd literally just be like, acting the blind. I'm like, do I have cancer? Like, I didn't even know until my therapist was like, no, that you're experiencing symptoms of anxiety. And, you know, realizing that it was when I thought about, you know, being in the public, like there was after the divorce leaked and getting laid off, I didn't want to go outside. I would make it probably a block away and I would start gagging. And this went on for weeks before I was able to like figure out how to regulate it. Were you getting recognized a lot on the street? You know what ebbs and flow at first? Yes. A lot. Now it's funny. Cause a few people have stopped me to say, Oh, we love what you're doing with the foundation. Keep, keep doing good work, stuff like that. It's probably that's, more. That's what you're for me. For now. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, people still do. It's definitely not as much as when the show first came out. Of course, sometimes yeah. people don't know where they know you from. Like I was at the grocery store the other day and there's a code to use the bathroom. And I went and I stopped there. I'm like, Hey, can I get the bathroom code? And he's like, I know you from somewhere. I'm like, I have yeah. to go pee. I'm in yeah, here all the time. Yeah, I, I, I shit here every week. That's what I would have said. I take a shit here every week. That's where you know me. <laughs> right, exactly. That's what I would have said. You're in Danielle's relationship, but not in the way that you think. Getting married through Love is Blind already is just like, the, uh, what, if like 12 other people have done that? Like, you know, like what, what the fuck? That's like a small number. Before you guys got married, what was the mental health relationship like between the both of you? Was it talked about a lot? Like when it came down to you guys getting married, did it come up quick? Did you bring it up first? Did she bring it up first? How did you guys kind of come to an understanding that you guys were both dealing with some stuff? It's funny, as you said earlier, you don't want to say it. Like one of the most admirable things about her is she's very transparent about it and she doesn't hide it. Like someone like me was more uh, naturally inclined to do. And so she was pretty open about it early on. And it actually was a, a big contributor to our sort of bonding and relationship early on, because I, I did feel like that transparency and that vulnerability with her. And I think she felt the same way with me, not to put words in her mouth, but it was actually a very strong foundation to what we were building, kind of seeing each other for, you know, what some might consider flaws, but, you know, can to seeing each other for who we were. And as the show went on and, you know, it's not my story to tell her mental journey, but, you know, she would express times when she was struggling and it was almost exclusively related to things that were happening on the show. And we did have talks going up into our wedding day as to whether or not we were in the right mental states to, to be a good partner for each other. Yeah. That's nice. That's a difficult conversation to have. Yeah. Because, well, they never get easier. Have you ever seen the movie, The Graduate? Oh my God. Yeah, of course. <laughs> it's like the end of the movie. It's like, oh yeah, like we're so happy. And then they're sitting on the bus and then it's a what now situation. Like I can't even believe we're on the bus right now. Like it yeah. kind of just happened. And that's why I always say then they, after your wedding, you get dropped back into reality. Like the oh, yeah. production was leaving our wedding during the reception. Cause they had everything. We had like another hour left. We could stay. And we were like, can we cut the cake? We, we went to get our producer to find out if we could cut our own cake. That's how handled you are for seven weeks that you're conditioned to ask your producer for help. And then the next day, you're like, back in reality, they're just gone. We kind of knew that. And her dad gave us really good advice. He's like, put structure in your weeks of when you'll spend time together, when you'll spend time with friends and family so that you guys can like integrate your lives at a normal pace after everything was so quick. We did not take that advice as well as we should have. Yeah. And that's like an arranged marriage, though. That's like kind of what it is. In some countries, that's just how it works. I don't judge whatever, but like reality TV, Americanized arranged marriage. I mean, 
let's be honest. What's the percentage on that working out? Let's be real. Well, and you, you know, too, like I firmly believe that they actually have you paired up before you go there. I don't think it always goes that way. Like I am convinced Danielle and I were not supposed to connect, but we just did. They let us roll with it, but they're definitely preparing people, I think for these shows, or at least like a three and three. Yeah. It's just like little stuff that always sits in the back of my mind. Like I was watching one show and they had a black couple that was paired up together. And I was kind of just like, you could see there's editing behind this. This is kind of like they put people in the, like certain situations with each other. And then I saw like, even on your season, I forgot who the other couple's name was. Cause you know, I, I feel like all of these shows are, are crazy. Oh yeah. We're but a dime they, a dozen. Yeah. So I, in my mind, I'm just like, Oh, these people were like chosen to be together the whole time because one, they thought it was going to work out or they know it's just not going to work out whatsoever, but there'll be great television together. There's a lot of weird shit that goes into that, especially pre-production. It's not like these people didn't have months and months of pre-production meetings about like, what what can we do to these kids? And they profile you. I mean, I talked multiple times to my producer. We did virtual happy hours. We talked for hours beforehand. She knew things about me that like very few people knew. It was great. Yeah. Thankfully for people like you, coming out and really talking about it because then you're going to have like, I'm sure other reality stars, right. That see you coming out and just be like, Oh, like you just like not built for this life or like some shit like that. It's such a weird, small fraternity that seems the percentage is so minimal, but so many people can see you at the same time. So it's like, you're just like this translucent being that people could just say whatever they want to you. Oh, totally. And the thing is, is like they see a couple hours. I think we were an hour and 13, 14 minutes of the entire first season. And then, of course, a little bit more added from the reunion after the altar. And people really think they know me. They think they know her. They think they know what our relationship was like. They have no idea. They have no idea. People thought, you know, from watching our season, all we did was fight about costumes and stuff. And then if you watch after the altar where they were like, we actually want to showcase how your relationship was fun. And it's like, yeah, like this is what we do. That conversation in costumes when we were quote arguing, it was so tongue in cheek because we both thought it was so stupid that they kept making us talk about the same thing. And then they just add dramatic music. It's just so silly. The dramatic music's always the best. And then it's like uh, some like dude like works in a music studio and only makes music for like reality TV. So it's like can't MCA and shit. it's weird there's so much that goes in if you really watch it from an outside lens like as a production you kind of have to admire it in a small sense because it's like wow there's a lot of man and woman power going into like exposing children for you know i look at these young people i'm 34 so when i see somebody like what's up i'm 22 and i'm like oh my god i'm ready for marriage yeah i'm like no you're not you know so (laughs) Let's get to the divorce. You guys get divorced. But you guys find a common ground to actually work uh, on being, you know, mental health advocates together. How did that come to be? And was the show being so like quick and then you guys being forced to be married in a sense? Uh, you know, nobody forced you, I guess. But in a sense, I look at it like, come on, guys, what are we talking about? Like, we're, we're pushing <laughs> it, it's very shotgun wedding yeah. in. I'm not going to speak for you, but, you know, what was it kind of like reconnecting after the divorce? We hadn't talked in months. As I had mentioned, I removed myself from anything reality TV. Every single person from reality TV, except Shane from my season was muted, restricted. I never saw their stories. I turned off any love is blind alerts for Google. I turned down interviews to catch up and see if I was dating, all of that kind of fun stuff that the media checks in with every couple months. And I just turned it all down. I was like, I'm done. And then there was a writer, Katie something, I forgot her last name, Business Insider article reached out to me over DM and was like, I'm uh, working on an expose on basically the reality of what goes on behind the scenes of love is blind. Would you be interested in an interview? And that one, I was like, okay, let me think about this for, I didn't respond. I'm like, let me think about this for a minute. I've removed myself from this. I've kind of been stringing Jeremy along on the the charity. Then I said to myself, you know, I have to say something because I've always said 
someone should say something. And then at some point I realized, well, if no one's going to say something, I'll say something. And so I took the interview and I took it, I mean, still heartbroken over the end of my marriage. Like people were like, oh, you're dating. No, like I wasn't, I had no interest in it. And, you know, I, I was heartbroken over that. And I knew that if I did this, I was going to be back in the news. I was going to be back in the conversation of my name and Danielle's name being mentioned together. I was heard by some of the things that had been in the media. And it was just, I was like, well, I'm like, I am going to say something because I have to leave reality TV better than I found it. And knowing what I'm going through and I'm strong and I know people are strong, but this, this has ruined my life. And I can't live with myself if it ruins other people's. And so then I did that interview and then obviously reading the article and doing interviews, I asked to not do any together because it was still too painful. And then took a couple of drinks, but we ended up reconnecting and having a conversation and deciding like, let's tell our story, but like, let's do it our way. So we did two episodes of, of my podcast where we spent probably like three hours total, just step-by-step. Step. Here's what we were doing. Here's what was going on. Yeah. Yeah. And, and just, here's our, like, here's our story. And here is what our mindset was that each of these giant life changing intervals that have happened to us. And that was really, I don't want to say healing. It was healing. It was healing actually. Like there was yeah, a I'm void. Sure, I'm sure in a sense it was because yeah, when a relationship ends, right. There's probably always like something you wish you could have said, but you didn't because it might've hurt too much. And time kind of heals that stuff. If you could find yourself on the same page. Yeah buddy again why not and that was the whole part of that process where i was at rock bottom at the end of the year last year and there were times like i i had texted her a few times in between but i just couldn't get the words out like i didn't oh, yeah. know what they were i wasn't feeling good enough to properly express myself without shame without sadness and heartbreak over the fact that things had gone the way they'd gone because i still think the world of her it was hard to kind of figure out like what i needed to say to her and what I needed to hear from her. That's a hard thing to do, right? Because especially when you're going through depression, you're like, I feel this way, but to articulate depression mm -hmm. and articulate panic and anxiety, it's very hard, especially in relationships too. Most of the time when relationship ends, it ends. If you don't have kids or like really anything like tying you guys together, it ends. Like people just go on about their lives. And that's always been kind of a thing for me. I don't know if it's so much like this for you, but like imagining that somebody just like doesn't exist anymore is like kind of wild. Oh yeah. And that's for me. I'm like, I have to do out of sight, out of mind if I'm going to heal myself, which is I can't be around the reality TV. Yeah. I can't be around reality TV people, you know, and then hearing, oh, well, what they think of it. Like, I don't care what they think of my relationship. They didn't live it every day. Like, who are they to start opening their mouths and providing commentary on it? I yeah. sure bet they wouldn't appreciate that other people did that about them. Think about all the footage that they cut out, right? It's like fucking people walk around naked. There's a whole lot of things that they don't understand that get cut out because they can't either put it on the show or it's just not. Or it contradicts the story they want to tell. Exactly. You know what I mean? It's like, oh, well, like they're going well, like, let's not put this conversation in he had with this girl or vice versa, because it's just like going to take away from like the essence. Yeah. I've been saying you got to watch this like you watch WWE. Like, oh, yeah, man. It's, it's reality entertainment, just like that sports entertainment. Yeah. Someone commented on that. And I was like, I guess after I'm done with unscripted cast, I'll go unionize WWE. So <laughs> they've been trying to have a union in WWE for years and they never let them have it. Never have. That's why. Exactly. You know, I think that reality TV legally should have to post a disclaimer before every episode and at the end of every episode of their shows. Based on actual events, something like that. I completely agree. I just think that small message will send something through the human brain, forcing them to read it. will be like, Oh, it is like WWE. Yeah. You know what? I've been trying to think of a petition and I think that's the petition. I just got goosebumps. You're going to control me legally or whatever. The only thing that you can really do is, is go over and be like, listen, like you guys have to post this before this because this is not good for people to take in at face value all the time. 
no, it's not. And they're not just following you around. You're literally being put in situations that they tell you you're going into. They tell you what you're going to talk about. They tell you where you're going to talk about it. And it's not real. It's just not real life. Look at 13 Reasons Why. They had the first season. That's another Netflix show. Yeah. Then parents are like, yo, what the fuck is this? And then the second season, they were like, hey, listen, like, you probably don't want to watch this show if you're going through something. Like, that's why reality TV needs to be disclaimered beginning and end of every episode. That's a great idea. I think that is absolutely something that needs to be done. And I've alluded that before, but you articulated it so well. Yeah. I just think that the way it'll change the way it's consumed, it'll change the way that it's viewed. And especially because the first thing people do is, they go to people's Instagrams. That's the first thing people do. Oh, like, what's his Instagram? Like, oh, I'm going to shit all over him. You know what I mean? Like, or I'm a shit oh, yeah. all over her. You know what I mean? I can't post anything without getting people. And you know what's so crazy to me? And this is another thing, like just realizing how damaged people are, is I started a nonprofit to help people because there was a gap that wasn't being satisfied of helping people. Yeah. How can you say anything mean about that? Who starts it? Who's famous for starting a not-for-profit? Name one person who's famous for that, who no. makes money on that, that isn't rich and famous and doing it to funnel profits to their corporations, Bill Gates. You know, it's like, who, <laughs> That's who? The thing. It's like they usually come after they've made billions of dollars. Exactly. Exactly. Oh, and then, you know, all those people running like with them are usually people that are attached to like billion dollar companies. You know what I mean? That's exactly right. There's just like a lot of tape. These big networks will have a better lawyer than you'll ever have. You and I will have. So you're not going to get through them. The only way that we could really do it is like we said, like make it a legal issue. Like when video games, they used to never have a rating on them. Then it just mm-hmm. got too bad that they had legally, they had to put a rating on them. These things should be rated. They, they should be rated NC-17. A 14-year-old shouldn't be you're watching. You're giving me too many ideas right now. <laughs> no, it's just the truth. Like, a 14-year-old shouldn't be watching Love is Blind. So now look at it like this, right? And I'm just talking about you as a person right now. Not saying mm-hmm. this happened on the show. I'm just saying figuratively. Say I'm a woman and I just got cheated on, right? Then they portray on a show that you cheated on your wife or whatever. And then I go to your Instagram I don't fucking know you, but I'm so scorned that I have to get been this propagandized. Off. Yeah, I got to get this off on you. So now it's like, yo, like that's an edited show. And like that never happened. And it, it didn't happen the way it happened. But they made me look a certain way. Now I got this fucking person harassing me. Well, they did that to Jackie on the last season. That's right. Yeah. They put her scene a day before it actually, or made it look like it was the day before it actually was. And she ended the relationship first before moving on, but they edited it out of order to make her look that way. Yeah. I forgot about it. What a defamatory edit. That's what I'm saying. And that's just something that should be in a disclaimer too. Like that, like these shows are edited. Yeah. And I have on next week or two weeks away, my podcast, I have someone from another show, a dating show where her and her fiance actually broke up when during they filmed during COVID. So they had to take a break at one point. They broke up and ended their engagement during that time. And they forced them to continue once the show picked up production again. And when people are like, well, they, they can't force you or they can fine you because you sign these contracts that say, if you leave or don't continue, you owe damages. And it's Love is blind is $50,000. I ain't got $50,000 sitting around to hand over to love is fucking blind. No, the billion dollar fucking company. Right. That's wild, man. But yeah, I think that there's things at like the actual legal level. That's like where you got to go to kind of make headway with these things. You got to beat them at their own game for the most part. We're doing that. Don't worry. That's it, man. One day, one day at a time, just like everything else. You know what I mean? Exactly. Just one day at a time. As cliche and as corny as it sounds, it's the best advice anyone ever gave me in my life. But like you said, talk about Eyes Wide Open. How long have you been doing the show? Also, where can everybody find the show? And the other thing, too, I wanted to ask is, with this show, what was your ideal message that you wanted to get out with the show? So Eyes Wide Open, when I recently rebranded it, it's been almost a year now. We have over 200,000 downloads and views across platforms. You can find it on anywhere you get podcasts. We invested a little bit more time in the editing. So it's actually a better visually looking YouTube show now as well. So 
you can check us out on YouTube. That's good at it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But my whole point of starting eyes wide open was that I, I don't like to talk about people. I like to talk about ideas or I like to talk about people's stories that help define the character that they've become in life. And so my idea was that if you talk to people about mental health, you talk to people about culture, you talk to people about free speech, you talk to people about holistic health and overall wellness, these issues are all stigmatized and everyone has their, an idea on it, but you don't actually listen to each other. And if we listen to each other, we can go through life with our eyes wide open, as opposed to having the biases that we're filtering things through. So my goal is really to remove stigmas around stigmatized topics, give people a platform to share their story, to speak their truth, and really humanize one another. Because I feel like we just, we look at everything in so black and white as a society that divides seems to be getting worse and worse. And at the end of the day, we are all human beings. We are nuanced. We have struggles, we have pains, and we have stories. So let's share those so we can go through life with your eyes wide open. I agree. Control your narrative. You know what I mean? Yeah, so many people control exactly your narrative. Right. For a while, so it's empowering to kind of take that back. Where can everybody else just find you as well? Yeah, you can find me on Instagram at nthompson513 or just search Nick Thompson. I share a lot of truths about reality TV. I talk a lot about mental health. I like to make practical tips. Some of the content you'll get from me is I'll be doing something someday. I'm like, oh, you know what? This is a this is really helping me. This is a good practical tip. Like maybe you should practice gratitude. Or last week I was getting reamed in the media and in the comments for an interview. And I just kept reminding myself, I'm like, no one's experienced this, but you, it doesn't matter what they say. So I shared that. So you'll find practical tips there. You can find me on TikTok too, which is Nick Thompson 513. I push uh, some exclusive content on there, but not, not as much as on Instagram. And if you're in marketing or you're interested on my thoughts on mental health in the workplace, check me out on LinkedIn too, where you can just search my name. So I think you're the first person that ever plugged their LinkedIn and that's genius. I don't know why people don't do that. That was the only social media I was present on until Love is Blind. That's where they recruited me off of LinkedIn. Listen, I, I'm going to let you go. Thank you so much. That, that hour flew by. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me on. This was great. Absolutely. And the last question, I ask everybody this question at the end of every episode. Are you happy today? I'm happier today after having this conversation with you than I was beforehand. So that makes me say thank you for what you do. and Thank, thank you, you for... I guess just being a normal person, having a normal conversation. I agree with you. I started this show specifically men. It's very stigmatized about, you know, being able to express ourselves. And I appreciate you being so transparent with us today. You're always welcome back here anytime, whatever we can do to help you hear it off the cuff as well. We're uh, email away. So thank you again. Thank you so much. Guys, everybody go check out Eyes Wide Open. Go check out the podcast everywhere that you can get a podcast nowadays. You can find us at one one OTC everywhere on the internet, off the cuff podcast, everywhere you get podcasts. Nick, thank you so much for your time. And I'm looking forward to seeing what you do in the future, my man. Thank you so much, Danny. I appreciate it. Thanks for joining me on another episode of Off the Cuff, presented to you by One One Life. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe and send us some love with a review. And don't forget, we're all in this together and you're never alone. Peace. Fate Entertainment. Ah!